Well, guys, hey, this week, this week uh, was, a, was a really, really eventful week. Uh, at the beginning of the week, all eyes were upward. You know, we, were, uh, we experienced a solar eclipse. And um, today, I want to talk to you about a message of, of things that can come between us and God. Okay, because this past Monday, all eyes were focused upward as our country experienced a total eclipse of the sun for the first time in many, many years. It is worth noting that only God could get such a divided country like ours all together looking skyward. A preacher friend of mine said it this way. um, We all unify when we look up toward the sun. Well said, huh? We all unify when we look up toward the sun. Let me be an environmental science teacher for just a moment and tell you what a solar eclipse is. A solar eclipse is when the, sun, the moon passes between the sun and the earth. And our view from here in South Louisiana wasn't that great. Okay, If you were like me and, and, and you realize you can't stare at the sun if you try, Okay, I, uh, I tried to make one of them homemade boxes. So if you happen to pass by the church and you saw your pastor looking in a box, I, I was trying to figure it out, but apparently I missed some direction there because I wasn't seeing nothing. Okay, um, So I took my sunglasses and I looked up at the sun and I realized you can't do that. So I, I took some of Chantel's glasses and I tried putting Sister Valley 2 or 3 on there and still couldn't do it. And then I just decided to take a little selfie with my my, my, my camera and that didn't work too well either. Okay. But, um, if in case you like me, you didn't get a very good view of it. I got good news for you. Seven years from now, it's going to be a whole lot better for us. Seven years from now, we're going to have another solar eclipse, except this time we'll be much, much closer to the actual best view possible. Okay. By the way, I think we were all reminded that you can't look at the sun even if you try. We, we saw all those things on Facebook, you know, the old guy, I looked at the sun and I can't see anymore. No, you didn't. You just can't look at the sun. Okay. Uh, now, all of us welders, all those who are welders, you were really good. You just dropped the, the lens and like, kind of cool. Okay. But the rest of us were stuck trying to figure out how to do it. But you know what? When we had that solar eclipse, it got me thinking, That often in life, we let things come between us and God. Just like the moon came between the earth and the sun. But unlike the eclipse that lasted a couple hours from start to finish and was only a total eclipse for a couple minutes a little north of us, we sometimes foolishly allow those things that come between us and God to remain in place, hindering our relationship with the giver of life. Today, we'll look at a few of these areas in hopes that we will all do something about your personal eclipse of the heart. Let's pray together today. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for an opportunity today, Lord, to look to your word. I pray today, Lord God, as I share this timely message that, God, you would speak to people's hearts, that you would remind us, God, that nothing is worth coming between us and you. I pray today, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would be active and real in our lives today, Lord. And if there is anything, no matter how small, that is between us and you today, that God, we would ask you to remove it. And God, I trust that when we ask you to do it, you'll do it, Lord, and that we'll forever be changed by your glorious power, your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let's look at some different things that can come between us and God, just like during that solar eclipse when the moon came between us and the sun. The first thing that came to mind is hurts and disappointments. 
hurts and disappointments. You see, in life, you will sometimes get hurt or disappointed. Anybody figured that out already? Okay. You know, I, I, I remember a couple years ago, I, I learned a lesson about disappointments. And, you know, disappointments happen when we have our expectations at a certain level and then we come in a little lower than that, huh? I remember a few years ago, LSU was playing Notre Dame. And, and I, I forgive me, I, I just don't like Notre Dame. Okay. I don't really like anything about them. Okay. They, they, they used to be really good and used to get all the calls and, and I just didn't like them. Okay. And, uh, they were playing LSU and obviously, you know how I feel about LSU. And, um, I remember at halftime we were in really good shape, baby. And we were in such good shape. I decided to go deer hunt. Okay. And I was listening to the game on my phone and I'm really glad I didn't watch that game because it didn't end so well. In fact, LSU lost to Notre Dame and I was so disappointed. It was like Leonard Fournette's freshman year. So we should have just run him off the stadium. And, and I remember a good friend of mine, Gary Sapp said, I wasn't disappointed at all because I expected him to lose. You see, the difference between me and Brother Gary is I expected LSU to win. So my expectations were up here. So when they came out second, when we ran out of time, I was disappointed. But if your expectations aren't very high, you're not often disappointed. But, but you know what? In life, we're going to get disappointed, right? We're going to have our expectations up here. We're going to think that family vacation is going to be amazing. And it comes in a little short of amazing, okay? We think that everything's going to be perfect with that new job. And, and it's not quite perfect. But, but, but things happen. We get hurt. We get disappointed. Did you know that Jesus promised that you would get hurt and disappointed? Look with me to John chapter number 16. John 16 verse 33. John 16 and 33. Jesus said this. These things have I spoken unto you that in in me you might have peace. Because in this world you will have tribulation or trouble. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You know what guys? If If Jesus himself said we'd have trouble... Erwin, we're going to have trouble. If Jesus said that it won't be a bed of roses, if Jesus said, Sister Annabelle, that we're going to have trouble, he's probably meaning it. But he didn't stop right there, did he? He said, in this world you will have trouble, but be encouraged, I've overcome the world. And because he overcame the world, you and I can as well. I've heard it said, guys, it's not what happens to you, but it's what happens in you that really matters. It's not what happens to you, it's what happens in you. That's why two different people can go through the same difficult situations or trials and handle things so differently. For example, uh, my first pastor, not named Jerry Jett, okay? We grew up in Franklin, but then when we went off to college to West Monroe, our first pastor, um, he grew up in an alcoholic's home. His dad was the town drunk. Okay, his dad was an alcoholic and, and, and he ended up um, drinking his life away. And, and, and my pastor grew up in that kind of home. But in spite of that terrible example, Ronnie, that he had to follow, he went to Bible school and he's been in ministry for almost 50 years today. But he also had a brother. That brother in that same household decided to follow the trail that his dad blazed. And 20 years ago, he died an alcoholic's death. Two different brothers, same difficult circumstances, but one made the choice to do things God's way. The other made the choice to do things another way. 
Guys, it reminds us that it's not what happens to you, it's what happens in you. It's the choices that we make. Every day, our life is full of choices. Okay, we choose what we wear. We choose how we fix our hair. We choose if we fix our hair. Okay, we choose a bunch of different things. But guys, life is made up of a bunch of choices. We need to make sure that we choose well. The illustration I gave you was two brothers, two very different outcomes. You see, how you and I handle hurts and disappointments mean everything. How do we handle those tough times that Jesus said would come our way? Sometimes we can let them come between us and God. Surely my pastor's brother allowed an alcoholic father to come between him and God. To come between him and the giver of life. To come between him and the one who could set him free from all that stuff. So guys, how do you handle hurts and disappointments? Did you know that people can even get hurt in church? Did you know that? I I know that's a shocker. If you're a visitor this morning, uh, just sit down and and break. You can even get hurt in church. Now, that doesn't happen at this church. Used to, but it doesn't happen anymore, okay? But did you know you can even get hurt in church? For those of you that have been hurt in church, I read a little devotion that maybe can help you a little bit. It says, are you upset over the treatment you received at the hands of church folk who chose to condemn you instead of help you? Or who neglected you when you should have sought you out, restored you spiritually, and returned you to the flock? Most people who've been wounded in church could easily convince a jury it should never have happened. And it shouldn't, but it did. And reliving it won't change a thing. Think, if you were mugged and taken to the hospital, you wouldn't spend all your time obsessing over the mugger who beat you up, would you? No, your main concern would be, get me better as fast as possible. Ironically, with physical wounds, we we seek help immediately, but with emotional ones, we're inclined to focus on the problem instead of the solution. General Robert E. Lee once visited a house in Kentucky where a a very bitter woman showed him the remains of a magnificent tree that the Union artillery had destroyed. She expected General Lee to sympathize with her and condemn the Yankees, but instead he quietly replied, Cut it down, lady, and forget about it. No amount of bitterness could change that tree, but it could sure change her and not for the better. Paul says he begged God to take away his pain until he told me in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you. It's all you need. Once I heard that, I quit focusing on my handicap. Quit focusing on your hurt and turn it over to God. When you've been hurt in church, you can choose to remain a victim by dwelling on how things should have been or use the experience to grow wiser and more discerning. The paralyzed man at the pool had been there for 38 years. When Jesus discovered how long he'd been there, he asked, do you want to get well? It was time for him to stop seeing his handicap as part of his identity. Because he'd been incapacitated for so long, he thought like a victim. Listen, he says this in John chapter 5. I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. What's the translation? Nobody cares about me. When Jesus commanded him to get up, he knew it would take real courage to overcome his feelings of hopelessness and self-pity. But when the man obeyed, he was healed on the spot. 
God never forces healing on you, even if you're hurting. No, you must want to get well and make a conscious decision to believe you can. Friends, getting hurt is inevitable. Living like a victim is a choice. Let me say that again. Getting hurt is inevitable. Jesus said it. We'd had trouble. We would get hurt. But living like a victim is a choice. The choice, the church rather, will always have people who speak without thinking and hurt others. But listen, you're part of the body of Christ. And apart from it, you've got no function, no spiritual food supply, no fulfillment. So you die spiritually. Understand this, it takes the same energy to choose healing as it does bitterness. But the results are very different. One leaves you paralyzed by the past, the other gives you hope for the future. If you've ever been hurt in church, what choice did you make? So guys, we can let hurts and, 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 and troubles and, and problems come between us and God. But let's choose not to. Let's choose the good decision and realize that those hurts and those disappointments, they're going to come. But let's give them to God. Let's deal with them. How should we handle them? First Peter 5 and 7 says, casting all of our cares on him, knowing that he cares for us. What have you been through? God knows and he wants you to give it to him. Now, here's the problem. So many times in the church, we come up to this altar and we say, God, take all these hurts. But, but then when we, go to, we, when we go to get up, we, we, we pick up a Kleenex or two and we pick up a problem or two as well. No, no, no. Keep picking up the Kleenex because we don't like picking up those things for you. But pick, leave those, leave those hurts, leave those disappointments, leave those regrets and those pains where they belong at the feet of Jesus. Amen. I've met people who've let hurts and disappointments come between them and God. And they were the ones who were hurt. They were the ones who, who were, who were worse off in it. Let's learn from that. Let's not let hurts and disappointments create a solar eclipse of the heart. By the way, those of you that are my age, you, you're going to have that little phrase in your, in your head for forever. <laughs> It's an old song, I think. All right, so hurts and disappointments, don't let them come between you and God. Number two, seemingly unanswered prayers. Seemingly unanswered prayers can come between you and God if you let them. Turn with me to James chapter number five. James chapter number five, God gives us some direction when it comes to prayer. Let's begin reading in verse number 13. James chapter number 5, verse number 13 in the King James Version, it says this. Is there any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is there any merry? Let him sing songs. Is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. At times when we call leaders up to pray for you. We're being scriptural. That's what we do. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he shall committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's good stuff, isn't it? That's a great promise. Turn with me to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, we have another promise when it comes to prayer. Matthew 18, verses 19 and 20, again in the King James Version. Matthew 18, verses 19 and 20. Jesus said this, Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, say anything, 
anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Another great promise, the promise of prayer of agreement. That's why we call people up and say, will you agree with me in prayer? That's why we ask people to pray with us. We want to put our faith together. These are but two scriptures that tell us of the power of prayer. But what do you do when you pray and nothing happens? You ever been there? Guys, I was just there this week. We have a good friend of ours, Irene Dufresne, who died this week from cancer. For those of you that have been in prayer on Monday nights, we've been lifting up toward the Lord. They were our children's pastors back when we were in Desalmonds. And this lady was not yet 40 years old. She was a mother of three, a wife of over 20 years to our good friend Taylor. We prayed, we sought God, we fasted, and she still wasn't healed. Yesterday, Taylor and his three kids had to bury her. Things like this can become between you and God if you let them. Things like this can come between us and God if we let them. But in our friend's case, did cancer win? No. You see, every cancer cell in her body is dead today. But is Irene dead today? No, she's not. You see, her faith in Jesus has her alive and well today. We prayed for her to be healed, and she was eternally, never to hurt again. Did God answer our prayer to heal her? Yes, he did. Just not like we thought he would or thought he should. This is when we have to trust God. You see, guys, there are times you pray for a certain situation and it doesn't work out like you thought it should. You pray for somebody to be saved and next thing you know, they get worse. Okay? You ever prayed for somebody and it seems like life got more and more difficult for them? Guys, that's when we have to trust God. You see, the way the enemy would want us to deal with this is we would say, see, you prayed and nothing happened. God can't heal. You know what I've learned in pastoring? When your experiences line up with the word of God, it's okay to stand on those experiences. Because I prayed for people to be healed and they were healed, Seth. I prayed for people with cancer and they were healed. So when my experiences line up with what the word says, it's okay to stand on those experiences. But at times like this, when the experiences seemingly contradict the word, you better stand on the word. Amen? And we better trust God. Proverbs chapter number three tells us, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways. And what does he promise to do? Direct our paths. At times like this, we got to trust that God knows best. At times like this, we got to trust that God knows what he's doing. And even though our prayer seemingly went unanswered, God still knows best. Here's what I've learned. Do you know that God answers just about every one of our prayers? But sometimes he answers with a yes. We like when he does that, don't we? Sometimes he answers with a no. We're not so excited about those. But then what is the most common answer that he gives us? Wait. Wait. Yes, I just said a four-letter word in church. Wait. We don't like that, do we? Mama, you like it when he says wait? You like it when he says not yet? You're not quite ready for that? No, no, no. How many kids, how many teenagers like to hear wait? None of us. 
And guess what? All of us grown-up teenagers, by the way, our senior adult ministry, guess what their new name is? Joy. Just older youth. Okay? So we're just like you guys. We're just a little older. Got a few more gray hairs. Okay? But guys, even though we might be full of joy... Sister Annalie, we still don't like to wait, do we? Okay? We just don't like wait. It's just not in our vocabulary, man. You go to Taco Bell and they take more than 29 seconds to fix your burrito and you get colicky. Okay? You get all, you get all tied up in a knot. By the way, eating Taco Bell will get you tied up in a knot. Okay? But you know what? We don't like waiting. But God sometimes tells us to wait because he knows what's best for us. Amen? So guys, do not let seemingly unanswered prayers come between you and God. Because if we could see things from God's perspective, we'd see why he answered it the way he did. We'll see why he said no, or we'll see why he said wait. You know what, guys? Today, Irene Dufresne is healed perfectly. She wouldn't come back if God gave her the choice. Now there's a husband and there's a family that's hurting today and we're going to pray for them. We're going to continue to lift them up. But we got to trust that God knows best in tough situations. So don't let seemingly unanswered prayers come between you and Jesus. What's a third thing that can come between us and God sometimes? Our will versus his will. You see, I've learned that people often do what they want to do. Have you heard that? Have you, have you noticed that? <laughs> people often do what they want to do. Even Christians, even sometimes if God intends better for them. You know, I've had people sit in my office and, 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 and they tell me some things that God told them. And I scratch my head, Casey, and go, oh, God didn't tell you that. <laughs> okay? You know? Oh, God didn't tell you that. <laughs> really? <laughs> really? But you know what? I've learned that people often do what they want to do. Rick, you figured that one out? People just do what they want to do. You know what? It comes to them choosing their will over his will. You see, Jeremiah 29, 11 promises that God has a plan for every one of our lives. That promise says, for I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. How many want a hope? How many want a future? You have it in Christ Jesus if you follow his will. But sometimes we don't like all the twists and turns that are involved in his will. huh? Sometimes we don't want to trust him throughout the entire journey. Have any of you ever been there? <laughs> I have. God has given each of us a free will and we must choose his will over our will on a daily basis basis on a daily basis the good news is that once you make the correct choice enough times it gets easier to choose his will Fabian a year ago the first time you had to choose to walk in freedom it was a tough choice wasn't it it was like how am I going to do this guess what this morning it was a little easier choice right because you've created a spiritual habit you've created something that is beneficial to you it's the same thing with choosing God's will over ours every day you wake up I'm going to serve God every day you wake up I'm going to do things God's way I'm going to love people God's way every day when we choose to do things God's way it gets easier why because blessings always follow obedience you know what, I used to say that a whole, whole lot at my old church. And, and I don't say it enough here, but I need to start saying it more because it's so true. Blessings follow 
obedience. When you're obedient to the Lord, when you choose his will over your will, he will bless you. Turn with me to John chapter number 15. In John 15, Jesus taught us some powerful truths that can help us when it comes to dealing with God's will and our will. John chapter number 15. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Verse number one. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it. He prunes it so it might bring forth more fruit. You ever been serving God, doing everything right, and all of a sudden, Sister Debbie starts clipping some things away? It's like, ouch, God, why would you do that? Because he wants you to bring forth more fruit. He wants you to do more for him. He wants to continue to bless you. And here's the key to blessings. Now you are clean, verse 3 says, through the word which I've spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. See, the key to walking in blessings is abiding in Jesus. Staying close to him. Committing to his will on a daily basis. Verse 5. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. But without me, you can do nothing. See guys, we have a choice. We can be fruitful if we abide in Jesus or we can do nothing if we do things our way. The choice is really pretty simple. Verse 6, if a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch. He's withered. The men gather him and cast him into the fire and they are burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. There's another promise to answered prayer. Herein is the Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. You see, guys, we have a choice. We can choose to abide in Jesus. We can choose to do things God's way. We can choose his will over our will and nothing can come between us and Jesus. Or we can choose our own selfish will. We can choose to do things our way and that thing will come between us and the Lord and you will regret it. I've seen people choose poorly in this area, choose to do things their way and it costs them everything. Let's learn from that. Let's not let our will, our selfish wants and desires ever come between us and what God wants us to do. Trust God's will for your life because it will be so much better than anything you could have chosen for yourself. Amen? Two more items and I'm almost done. Number four. What's the fourth thing that can come between us and the Lord? Unforgiveness and bitterness unforgiveness and bitterness. Turn with me to Matthew chapter number five. Matthew chapter number five, verses 21 through 26. Jesus was teaching here. This is uh, the Sermon on the Mount. It's some real powerful teaching. And, And in verses 21 through 26, he talks about the real meaning of murder and anger and dealing with unforgiveness. Verse 21, Jesus said, you've heard that it's been said of the old time, thou shall not kill. Whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, this is a sign of worship. This is an act of worship back in those days. Therefore, if you bring 
bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has ought against you. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer your gift. You know what Jesus was teaching? Even before you worship, make sure you don't have unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart. If you remember, if the Holy Spirit shows you somebody you have ought against, go and make that right. See, God, guys, God is so serious about this unforgiveness thing. Verse 25, agree with thy adversary quickly while thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge and the judge deliver thee to the officer and you be cast in the prison. Verily I say unto you, thou shalt by no means come out thence till y'all pay the utmost farthing. What does that mean? There's a price to pay for unforgiveness. There's a price to pay if you don't do things God's way. Unforgiveness and bitterness has come between so many people and God. Jesus taught us in the model prayer, Lord, forgive us as we forgive others. Could you imagine for a moment if God forgave you just like you forgave others? How would you like that? I wouldn't want that. (laughs) Okay? Don't sign me up for that. That'd be like praying for what I deserve. Belinda, I don't want what I deserve. I want grace. I want mercy. I don't want Jesus to forgive me, Seth, like I always forgive others. But what if he did? God is serious about us walking in forgiveness. God is serious about us not harboring bitterness. To choose to not forgive and harbor bitterness towards another is sin. Let me say that again. Unforgiveness is sin. And sin separates us from God. And like every sin, it will keep you longer than you want to stay and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. As this story illustrates. The high cost of bitterness. The woman who wrote this letter uh, thought revenge would bring closure. She was wrong. She writes, I found my husband with another woman. Although he begged me for forgiveness, I wanted my pound of flesh, so I filed for divorce. Even though our kids asked me not to. Two years later, my husband was still trying to get me back, but I wanted none of it. He'd hurt me, and I wanted revenge. Finally, he gave up, married a young widow with two children, and rebuilt his life without me. They're all so happy, and I'm just a lonely, miserable woman who let bitterness Ruin her life. Now there's no question. Infidelity is wrong. But without forgiveness, bitterness is all that's left. There comes a point at which anger is no longer just an emotion. It's a driving force. Like cocaine, you need larger and more frequent doses. Once that happens, you move even further from forgiveness. Because without your anger, you have no source of energy at all. That's what drives hate groups like the KKK and skinheads. Without bitterness, they have no reason to exist. If you take bigotry from the racist, revenge from the zealot, chauvinism from the sexist, what's left? So what's the answer? God said, forgive anyone who does you wrong as Christ has forgiven you. Because bitterness, friends, is fatal. It'll kill your soul. How do you stop yourself? This is so good. This is for somebody here today. How do you stop yourself from becoming bitter when you've been hurt? What if you really have reason to be upset? What if you've really been hurt? What if you've really been wrong? Shana, what if somebody did you wrong and they're not even sorry about it? What if they're just acting like nothing happened? Or even worse, they could care less what you think. What do you do then? 
How do you forgive then? By looking into the face of the one who hurt you. And instead seeing the face of the one who showed you mercy when no one else would have given you another chance. Josie, how do we forgive others that have hurt us? When we look at them, we don't see them. We see Jesus who forgave us, who gave us a second chance, who didn't hold our sins against us, who forgave us, who's full of grace and full of mercy. And when we see that person, we can forgive that other person. So friends, there is a high, high cost to pay for bitterness. You don't want to pay it. You don't want to go there. So many times, sin and unforgiveness or unforgiveness and bitterness, which is sin, has come between people's relationship with God and it costs them so very much. Let's learn from so many others and don't let this sin come between you and God. This leads us to our final area that can come between us and God if we'll let it. Sin and guilt. You see, sin, as I said, separates us from God. It'll keep you from the close, intimate relationship with God that he intends for each of us. I don't have to give you a list of do's and don'ts. I don't have to go through all the things you should do and all the things you don't do. The Holy Spirit that dwells in each of us, his convicting power tells us as Christians when we're doing right and when we're doing wrong. Now, don't you? You know what? Even kids know what's right and wrong. When your kids do wrong, they kind of, Seth, when one of your boys does wrong, they kind of avoid you, don't they? They don't want to talk about it, okay? I remember Hayden, who used to do a lot of things wrong. He's come a long way. Whenever we'd ask him about it, Fabian, he wouldn't make eye contact with it. Like, like, did you hit your cousin? Remember how him and Christian used to fight? Did you hit your cousin? No, didn't do it. Hayden, look at me. Nope, didn't do it. Nope. Nope. You find, I remember, Chantel, you remember you used to have to grab his little face and look at him? Now tell me the truth. I hit him. Okay? You see, we know what's right. We know what's wrong. We, if a three-year-old knows right from wrong, you know right from wrong. But guys, we have to choose to do right. We have to choose to do right. We have to make up our mind that we're going to do things God's way because sin will separate us from God. Sin will come between us and God. It'll be like a total eclipse. You see, I've met some people that confuse conviction with guilt, but they are most certainly not the same thing. Let me teach you something. Conviction comes from God, and it makes you want to make a positive change. We all need conviction. I need the Holy Spirit's conviction in my life. You need the Holy Spirit's conviction in your life. But guilt, on the other hand, comes from the devil. And it makes you want to quit on this whole Christian thing. That's the difference between conviction and guilt. We've all felt conviction. We've all felt guilt. You need to realize who's it coming from and what does it lead you to do. You see, conviction of sin should lead to the confession of sin. Conviction of sin should lead to the confession of sin with the promise of 1 John 1 and 9 in mind. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then the promise of Acts 3 and 19 takes over. That promises times of refreshing that will come after repentance. There are times of refreshing. The Bible says repent so that times of refreshing can come from the Lord. 
Guys, we need to realize, don't let sin, that, that's great. Repent ye therefore, be converted that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. We need to realize that sin can come between us and God. Don't let it happen. Sin can be dealt with if we don't take it on alone. Jesus paid the price for all mankind's sin at the cross. And he will forgive your sins as well if you'll only ask him today. As for guilt, I close with Romans chapter number 8, verse number 1. Ashley, if you'll come up to play softly, please. Romans chapter number 8, verse number 1. Talking about guilt. Paul writes, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Paul said, there's no room for guilt in a Christian's life. There's no room for condemnation in a Christian's life. If you're doing things God's way, if you're serving God, there is no room for guilt and condemnation in your life. 